Hi, everyone. It is so great to be here. Um, for the last couple months, I've kind of taken a step back. And so this is really my first sort of public engagement. And I'm very, very excited to be here to start the season two of Arcana Conversations. But before we start, I'd like to um, I'd like to say something that my coworker Irene, who's on this call, did on a call on Monday, and I was so impressed with the land acknowledgement that she gave. I asked her for um, for the script because I think it's really an important way for us to start these conversations. And in the spirit of healing, I acknowledge and honor the Ohlone people whose traditional lands of twelve thousand years were unceded and part of which is now known as the East Bay in the San Francisco Bay Area of California, where I'm currently occupying. So thank you, Irene, and thank you to the spirit of the Ohlone people for the land that we're now occupying. So today we're going to hear from Elijah Bryce Middleton. And last year at Expo, my coworkers Lisa and Sharon met Elijah and when they came back, they said, you know what, we really need, you need to talk to, you need to meet Elijah. He has an amazing story of his involvement in animal welfare. And after talking with Elijah and after seeing his video, I'll tell you, any of us that are involved in hiring in animal welfare really need to watch this video before we make any hiring decisions. Because I think this is, Elijah is such a great example of resiliency and relatively young person and yet continued to persevere when others around him maybe necessarily didn't support him in the way that he should have been supported. And uh, I think that we can do a lot to improve the way we do the things we do and the way we perceive what makes a good candidate for the positions that we have, especially when those candidates don't look like us. And how do we develop those kinds of skills that don't come from necessarily the biases that we all hold, but actually come from a place where we forego judgment and really view the, um, the work that we do in a much more inclusive way to promote belonging. So with that, I would like to um, introduce you all to Elijah Bryce Middleton, and he's gonna come back after this um, video to talk to us in person. Hello, my name is Elijah uh, Bryce Middleton, and I am the executive director of Plainfield Area Humane Society. And I got into this field uh, really due to my father and how I was raised in a very, very animal positive environment. Uh, we always had some amount of animals in the house. Since I was a toddler, I had tegus, I had all kinds of lizards, all kinds of snakes, all kinds of exotics. And he really instilled in me the value of caring for those who couldn't care for themselves and caring for animals in general. So when I found uh, injured bats on the street, I was the one to pick it up and bring it home and nurse it back to health myself. I have always had an affinity for animals. I always wanted to be someone who could improve an animal's life on this planet. However, I had a passion at that time to be a research scientist, uh, ecologist specifically and animal behaviorist. And so I did my undergrad in Massachusetts, 
uh, and I double majored in e behavioral ecology and evolutionary biology. And from there, I really wanted to go on to get my PhD in research scientist uh, in research science and really be an ecologist and ethologist out there in the field, sort of doing the work on the ground. With my bachelor's, I realized it wasn't the field for me. There was missing something, but I just was not sure what. So I really just decided to go on a journey of finding out what that was. I ended up working in the financial sector, uh, fintech specifically, with uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And it was a very fulfilling job when it came to my business acumen and learning more about business practices and learning more about finance. However, I was still missing a very big part of what I loved and what I grew up wanting to do, which was science and animal care. After some time on Wall Street and in the business world and fintech, I decided to leave and go explore and apply to as many different animal places that I could, whether it was veterinarians, um, zoos, I really just needed to get myself near to something with four, more than two legs, honestly. From there, I ended up getting an interview opportunity with Animal Care Centers of New York City. It was an accident, really, a really, really pleasant accident. I ended up going there, I got the job, and when they told me I got the job, they were saying, it's great, you're a kennel attendant. I was like, I'm doing what? I thought I was applying to be animal behaviorist. You know, I didn't even know really what I was doing, but I said, I'll take it. If I get to play with animals and I get to work around them and work with them, I'm satisfied. And once I was there, I started as a kennel attendant and I moved around the departments um, with not a lot of ease because it was a lot of pushback, uh, but I, I forced my way through getting into that admissions department. It's a very big organization, a uh, shelter in every borough. I went from the Brooklyn shelter and then I went on to the Bronx shelter and I started running the Bronx shelter from doing their admissions and doing their adoptions, their uh, medical handling. I sort of got a taste of almost every aspect of sheltering. I did not feel that at the time, the organization that I was with did not invest in me or did not believe in myself as much as I believed in myself, right? Um, they did not see the potential that I saw in myself. And so when I was applying to uh, move up in that organization, I was working for upward mobility. I was always overlooked for my counterpart, who I knew did not have the experience, did not have the educational background um, on paper or in real life, but they got it. And, you know, I can always guess as to why they got it, but I know what I saw and what I saw was they looked different than me. And I wanted to know more about animal welfare. So I went on a search to find a graduate program where I could learn more about that. And lo and behold, while it was the first one that came up and it was Zoo, Aquarium and Animal Shelter Management Master's Program in Colorado. From there, I was able to work with many, many shelters around um, that state and you know surrounding states and getting to know how they work, how they operate, um, what's the culture of sheltering, not just in Colorado, but is there a, a, a culture of sheltering that spreads across the whole country? But I also had another decision that I had to come to once it was time to graduate, was what kind of organization 
did I want to go to? What kind of organization did I want to commit my time, my energy, blood, sweat, tears to? I realized I needed to be somewhere where I could have the most impact, where I could make the most amount of change, uh, the place that needs me the most or probably wants me the least. And so I ended up at a small shelter um, in central Jersey, um, somewhat rural, somewhat suburban. It's got a mix of communities around here. And I knew that this particular shelter was the place for me because they needed the most help. The board welcomed me on as their uh, executive director. And I really, ever since then, have been working towards make, being the change that I'm looking to see in our community. Unfortunately, the culture of the shelter was not a friendly one. It was not an accepting one and it was not an inclusive one. And so when I got here, I had an animal welfare issue to tackle, but I also had a human welfare issue to tackle um, because the, unfortunately the management that was here was not, that was not at the forefront of what they were concerned about or what they were doing. So I knew I had to start with the animals. That was what the board wanted. And that's what I wanted make sure the animals have the best time in the life while they're here until they find their next destination, whether it's rescue or adoption or foster. Once I got over that hurdle, I was then able to say, we also need to change the culture here. It needs to be inclusive. Um, of course, that does sometimes mean if there are not people who are willing to change with the shelter, they have to go. Uh, and those who are and who were willing were joined the culture of inclusivity so that we could have people of color, LGBT, um, all creeds and religions. And we weren't so monolithic looking because at, for a shelter that looked the way it did, our community is, does not mirror that. We are in a mostly immigrant community, um, mostly Spanish or Latinx and mostly black. So why doesn't our shelter reflect that? And why don't we adopt out to them? Why don't we have volunteers that look like that? Why don't we, you know, have, you know, events that are in those communities? So that was really the start of me seeing, okay, so this is the change that I need to have. And I did that by going out into our local community centers, whether it's the churches, whether it's LGBT organizations. I myself had to check a lot of my own cultural biases. You know, growing up in New York City, I never knew Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts existed, even though I now know it's very common and it's nationwide. I personally never knew anything about them. It was not part of my life and my culture. So then I had to say, I go out and I find as many Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts groups as I can. And I say, please come to the shelter, meet me, meet the team, meet the animals. And then, you know, you create this sort of long lasting and sustainable partnership between you and that organization. Cause those organizations, we're all just people that make them up. So connecting to people is the way we're going to be able to make and enact those changes is by having a person to person connection. If you are facing barriers or challenges to your culture or to implementing some kind of DEI initiatives, the start and the core and the crux of you making that change is going to understand the people around you, understanding your team, understanding your community. And with that understanding, you'll gain empathy. You'll be able to have an empathetic response to what it is they need, they feel, they think they want. It can feel like such a lofty goal when we talk about DEI, right? We see the issues around us and we always often wonder, how can I affect that change? But it starts 
And it, as cliche as it can sound, it starts with the individual. It starts on the grassroots level. There are plenty of organizations who are doing on bigger levels and they are needed, but we are needed here on the grassroots level, on a person to person level, on a community to organization level and having that level of empathy that builds long lasting uh, partnerships and connections that will benefit both individuals or both parties and both stakeholders uh, tenfold in the future. I can only speak from personal experience. However, I wish someone really took the time to cultivate and invest in me. And I think I would have had a completely different experience. And so that's something I'm very intentional about now in my position is really cultivating the talents that you know come through my door, whether they are volunteers, fosters or employees, your impact now increases. Now you have someone else out there with the necessary skills and know-how to impact change in whatever way they feel and empowers them. But it all starts with really investing in your team and in your people and in your community. Elijah, that was just incredible. I have to tell you, it just, every time I see the video, I could watch it 10 more times. And this time I realized you went to Hampshire College and I think that is so incredible. Wow, what an experience. We could do a whole hour just on that alone, but but we won't. But I just, I really love the fact that you, you know, as you said, it should be on a t-shirt, I think. You wanted to go to the place that needed you the most, but wanted you the least. And I just am marvel at your um, the perspective that you have about what's going on around you and what your role can be in that. But one of the questions I wanted to ask you is um, you were making so many decisions about your career. You really tuned into what your true passion was all about and what was meaningful to you. And what advice would you give for anyone that wants to work in animal well-being today? Um, so there's so many paths that you can take to get to the destination, especially in animal well-being. Um, and it's such a personalized process. However, I do feel that you have to not rush yourself. Give yourself some grace and explore. Get a taste of as many things as possible. Um, just like with stocks or anything else, diversify. Um, if you diversify, you're most likely going to find what it is you're looking for, what it is that is going to feed your soul. Um, and that's how I lead my life. That's how I lead in my professional life as well as what is going to feed my soul. And that's how I found this job. And that's how I found this um, field was following what fed my soul. Um, and hopefully if by doing that and taking the proper steps and time, you know, everyone um, of all ages can find what is going to be that for them. Oh, that's beautiful, Elisha. I'd like to um, just uh ask you to speak a little bit more about the work that you do in the community, because Elijah, it seems like we've spent a lot of time in, in animal well-being focused on what's happening within the walls of the shelters and our, you know, organizations. And when it comes to really uh, interacting with the public, we've often done that from a position of here are the things that we can do for you sort of, can you use them or not? And so I feel like what you have presented in the video is a different perspective on how to be part of the community that we want to serve. So if you could speak a little bit more about that, that would be great. Yeah. So I look at it as a sort of symbiosis. Um, 
I have a great team. I have a great board. And what we do and what I implemented was either I or someone on my team or one of our board members, we have to go out into the public. We have to go, like I said in the video, um, go to the fairs and meet the vendors, um, go to the schools, um, invite them out to us and show them that we're here. Um, for in my personal experience, my shelter was not very well known in the community when I got there. You could go and meet a person and they had no clue there was a shelter near them. Um, so I said, well, how do we change that? How do we let people know that we're here and we're not just here, but we're a resource for them. We're here for the people. And the people are both the families and their, their, their loved ones, which are the animals. And how can we explain that to them in a way that isn't going to infringe on them? And so I join them and I meet them on what makes them comfortable in their territory and their space. And going into their spaces, it shows them that you care. It shows them that you're willing to take the time out to say, hey, this is what I'm doing in the community. I want to offer you this resource. I want to offer you this support. And it comes with no strings attached. It comes at no cost to you. It's just me simply lending a hand. And if you do that, you will find that over time, um, you'll, you'll get that and back. They'll start to come to you without you even really trying. Um, a lot of people ask, uh, I have gotten the question, well, how do you get people to apply? Um, we're not seeing the applications, but people have to know you're there. Um, you know, people don't know what they don't know. And so, uh, unfortunately, if you depend on your social media or your website, there's always going to be people that are going to be missed. There's going to be people that are going to fall through the cracks because access is always a thing. And not everyone is going to have that access to see you. So you have to try and reach the demographics and the communities that normally you guys would not cross paths. And I see that in a lot of shelters. And my shelter was one of the biggest culprits of that. And so that's how I just started. And it has become a culture. Now that my board expects that of us, it's an expectation that we go out into the public and we meet people face to face. Um, and it's a great experience because you also make connections, like I said, that benefit everybody and it benefits in the end, the animals and the families we're trying to help. I think you've, you've done so much to give us some key points for um, recognizing that sometimes old school isn't so bad. Meeting people, shaking their hand, going to where they That's are as opposed to focusing on um, always technology and the ease at which technology allows us to make connections, but it's not always the, um, the connections that we need to make. Right. And I'm a millennial. I get it. I, I, I love using technology. I think it is an important tool and not one that we should scoff at, but it's not the only one. And it's sometimes it's not necessarily the strongest one. So... Well, I think you're an amazing spokesperson for the value of hiring millennials and why we need to do more of that. And we don't need to, um, I think sometimes we get caught up in the whole idea that people have to somehow pay their dues, whatever that means. And I think mm -hmm. that when we remember that we're dealing with, uh, you know, cats and dogs, that there's really so much that I think generations, different generations can bring to what we do and how we do it, that we really, it's time for us to give them a chance. Yeah. I agree. So Allison Cardona, do you want to unmute and ask your question? Sure. Sorry that I can't come on camera. I have a barking dog, but oh, that was so inspiring, Elijah. Thank you so much. Um, I have to comment too, that it's just like, if you're not uh, valued and invested in, 
you know, you got to make the move. And I love that you did that and kept advocating for yourself. But I wanted to ask what's next for you. Um, I could see you running a very large organization or big shelter. Um, and I can't wait to see where your career takes you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, you know, right now I'm still focused on my organization and, and getting it to where I envisioned it. Um, we're starting a capital campaign. So we're in the midst of that. And anyone on this call who knows what that's like, it's kind of a nightmare. <laughs> um, but it's also very fun and very rewarding. So um, after that, who knows? I mean, I'm not one to limit myself. Um, but I am one that my next step will be some place where I can affect change on an even greater scale, most likely. Oh, that's beautiful. What do you tell yourself when things getting tough and you know you need to keep moving forward because you certainly had a lot of those situations in for someone who's so relatively young. So what helped you to keep going? Yeah, I am a big proponent of self-care. Um, I push that actually in my shelter very often. I say it's not just work-life balance. I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe work is a part of life and there's several other aspects that you're trying to balance. It's not just work and life. And so when I'm going through stressful times, I make sure to try to implement that in my life. What do I need? I, I have conversations with myself. I talk to myself all the time. And I say, what do I need in this moment that is going to make me feel better? What do I need in this moment that is going to put me in a positive headspace? And having those conversations, and I, I'll have them out loud even in my house by myself or talking to my dogs, and I walk myself through the steps of recovery needed. Um, and it gets me there most of the time. Sometimes it takes 12 steps, sometimes it's two. But it's really just figuring out what does Elijah need. Um, the same way I found out, you know, what do I need when I want to go down my career path? I just have those conversations with myself and I figure out what is the imbalance? What am I not getting enough of in my life or what am I getting too much of? And then I try to just recalibrate. Thank you. That's great. So uh, Sloan, it's so good to see you on this call. Why don't you unmute and ask your question? Yeah, absolutely. And apologies with background noise. I have two tiny human puppies bouncing around. So I'm <laughs> on camera. Um, I, hey, Elijah, again, thank you for your story and sharing it with us today. And as a fellow research nerd here, um, I would love to hear how or if you're integrating your passion for research into your work now. Um, yes, I am actually. So I have some students from nearby schools that, and I actually got this from, and I see Anna Neubauer on the call. Um, I got this from my graduate program, but um, I have students around me come and do projects at the shelter. Um, and while it's not research I'm doing on my own, I allow other students to do research, whether it's animal behavior or they want to see what the effect of something is with foster. And they, I get to bring that research into the shelter. I have new ideas coming into my shelter and also I'm fostering, you know, an academic quality that I grew up with. And so I'm always a fan of. You blew me away in the video and now you're just <laughs> blowing me away in the last 24 minutes. So I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm voting for you. Now I don't care for what, but I'm just voting for you because this is oh just goodness. amazing. I love the fact that you're creating these little research scientists. Everybody that does <laughs> research should be really great. And you're, you know, promoting evidence-based yes, outcomes, yes. which is really- I, I can't take credit for it. I mean, I don't know how many people on the call are, are familiar with Colorado State and the PSM program as a professional science masters. Um, but basically the way it works is they send us out. Um, they send the cohort out into their 
this given institution or organization, whatever you pick, and you do research for the shelter or for the zoo or for the aquarium, and you and it really helps both parties. And I think like everything else, a symbiosis is made where we both benefit. You know, I get to learn and I get to conduct research, and then you get to benefit from that research and what uh, what I learned. So I find it's one of the things that honestly I think more shelters and more organizations in general should start doing because it creates professionals in the field that you're in. And we always need more of those professionals. So, yeah. Wonderful. I really loved what you talked about on the video in terms of, you know, just how you have to work person to person, organization to community and building long lasting relationships and how that's such a key to the work that's being done. And I think that um, animal welfare right now, we're at a bit of a, um, crossroads, if you will. We've devoted so much time to the animals and we're just now starting to see that every animal that comes to us is connected to a person and now trying to expand that, uh, I think, compassion circle to include the people that are attached to the animals as well. Yeah. Um, so I actually really love that that is becoming a topic conversation in our field because Believe it or not, the people have been overlooked so often. Um, but even so, pushing that further, I like to reach out to the people who don't have animals, um, who aren't currently serving an animal because they still have a place in our community and they still have a role that they can play in our shelter. So I make a note to reach out to people like you don't have an animal. Come and see what we're doing here. See how it makes you feel. Um, maybe you'll be a foster. Maybe you'll come volunteer at one of our events. Um, who knows? Maybe you'll just spread the word of the great work we're doing. Maybe you'll tell your you know, uncle to come adopt a pet from us. Who knows what the outcome will be? But I refuse to limit myself and to limit my organization to just any one thing because that's part of inclusivity. It's just not looking at the animal owners and the families that have pets, but looking at the whole community in a real holistic way. And I think doing that is really going to move this field forward in a really positive manner. Thank you so much. I just love that. So um, let me just ask if there are any other questions from the um, audience. I have one. Hi. Uh, hi, Elijah. Thank you for sharing your uh, photos, your family photos, and your story with us. It was so touching. Uh, and I know that your dad was a, is a very important influence. And I was wondering if you had any, uh, had other mentors uh, in the field also. Uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. So um, every step of the way, there was really someone that looked out for me. Even when I, when I was in New York, there, there was someone who was looking out for me. In grad school, Jenny, Willis, who is amazing. She's the director of the program. Um, I can't sing her praises enough, honestly. Um, she really helped foster all of us, my entire cohort, in terms of what we wanted to do. There was nothing that we wanted to do that she scoffed at. She just made sure she made it happen. Um, if I wanted to work with giraffes, I mean, she'll find a giraffe and put me with it, you know? Um, so people that really fostered you personally and professionally and finding that it, it's not, it doesn't always happen for everyone, but if you do get that, it's absolutely amazing. Okay. I want to thank everybody for being here today. I want to thank the um, team at Maddie's Fund for all their hard work in getting, um, you know, season two launched. I also want to remind you all that all of our Canna conversations are now available on your favorite podcast channel. So 
when you're out walking and you want to get a little inspired, please think about those um, podcasts for sure. And I really want to thank Elijah. Thank you so much for being here. Thank Thank you for kicking off our season two. I'm so excited about what this uh, means for not only all of us here on this call, but I think our industry, these are the kind of conversations that we need to have on a regular basis. I think these are the kind of conversations that are going to make us different about the work that we do, more effective about the work that we do, more inclusive about the work that we do. So Elijah, thank you so much. And I think this is not going to be the last time we hear from you. That is for sure. No, I thank you so much for the opportunity just to speak to you guys. It's um, always amazing. Thank you. Thank you all.